Welcome to the One Player Podcast, the show on solitaire board games. I'm your host, Albert. This is episode 252. Wait, I didn't think of something. Wait, I haven't what, considered that for Is I Ready. What time is it? What time is it? It's Arkham time. All right, it is Arkham time on the podcast tonight. Back to old Arkham. How are you doing, Albert? Doing all right. I'm sure you're ready to come join us back with that. Yep, I am ready. I'm excited. I'm looking forward to today's game. It is Arkham Horror, sort of. Well, I, I want to clarify because there's so many Arkham Horror <laughs> products out there. It is specifically Arkham Horror Final Hour, as opposed mm-hmm. to Arkham Horror with a board game, Arkham Horror the card game. You know, who knows? Maybe we went off the deep end and went and reviewed Unfathomable or some other Arkham Horror game. <laughs> <laughs> There's so much Arkham Horror. Here is yet another one. This is Arkham Horror Final Hour. Mm-hmm. So, th- and this one is it's the final hour. So, I don't know much about this. I was telling this Julius just beforehand. I, I know very little. I'm excited to hear about this. Um, in fact, I didn't even prepare because I just want to hear about this. All I know <laughs> is that this is a game in a small box, about the same size as um, the Arkham Horror card game box. That the older one, not well, the new one. The old and, one. Yeah. Yeah. And it is it is sort of like the board game of Arkham Horror, even the card game, except instead of all of that prepping and closing gates and dealing with that, this is just the very final hour of the whole fight. This is Correct. the boss. Yeah, that, that, that is that essentially setup. the theme. It's not even the boss. It's you came too late. Usually for the other Arkham Horror oh. things, you are working really hard to prevent the cultists from achieving their goals. In this one, you came too late. The cultists achieve their goals. The portal is open. Horrible monsters are pouring through. And now it's your job to close the portal. Okay. So, shame on me in the first place. I I totally messed up already. Let me see if I can now fix it and and fix my mistakes. Okay. Well, that, that sounds interesting. I should have closed the gates earlier, right? I should have gone around Arkham and shut gates or gone to the different museum locations and shut gates or something yeah something along those lines it's not quite clear everything beforehand because we're still talking about gates but yes that is the quick theme for this one is okay. the idea that it's too late now then wait let, let me jump forward then just a crazy question here could i play arkham hard the board game make it to the end and fail and say hey instead of fighting the boss let's now do it as our as final hour and finish no. the game that way. It wouldn't work? Okay. <laughs> no, it absolutely wouldn't work because Arkham Horror Final Hour A only ever happens in Miskatonic University. B mm. can only happen for one of three specific ancient ones. So, you know, if you're playing one of the ones that isn't here, it won't work. Yeah. So if the stars have aligned, then maybe I could do it. Yes. I mean, if okay. uh, theoretically, if you're playing the correct investigators, the correct ones, and you're in Miskatonic University, I guess you could, but it would probably be weird. Would it? Okay. Okay. I was curious. It, it just sounds like a neat idea. I have no idea of how yeah, the gameplay works and all that. I think it, well, the gameplay is entirely different. Why okay. don't we start by talking about the normal things, unless you want to hear about the gameplay first. No, that's fine. Um, the summary, I think we've given the summary already. So how about the, let's talk about rules next, I guess. We'll do things in Sure. So unlike with the normal Arkham Horror, it or unlike with the normal I suppose not normal, but unlike many other fantasy flight things, it has only one rule book. And a large part of that's because it's just not as big a game as, say, the Arkham Horror board game or the card game or a number of other larger games that fantasy flight has done. It only has the one rule book. It doesn't need to have a whole reference. It doesn't need to have a learn to play guide. It's more simple. It's more clear. Having said that, um, the game has some particular uniqueness to it that you definitely want to understand how it is that you're doing it. The game takes, when it's explaining how to do it, it does the chronological version of explaining how to play the game. First do one phase, then do the resolve action phases. To a degree, I think that some of the information for the play should have been explained or some of the information from resolve should have been done by play specifically what I'm referring to is that when you're playing the game, everyone's going to have a card um, or a whole hand of card. 
The top effects of the cards lets you investigate. The bottom effects of the card lets you attack monsters as a general rule. The first two cards that are resolved are going to be investigated. The the second two that are resolved, the last two, are going to be used for the bottom effects to attack monsters and deal with monsters. So that's really important information that you need to know when you're playing the cards. When you're resolving the cards, it just sort of happens, but that should sort of guide your strategy. You probably wouldn't have known that if you didn't read the whole thing. And I suppose you get to that really fast, but just that one little bit, I'm not quite sure why they explained that. Other than that, I really didn't have any issues with understanding the rules, understanding all the various bits, and the rule book's generally fine. Okay, and it's a fantasy flight game. I mean, they're pretty good at rules. They don't exactly mess them up anyway. The game does have a specific method of playing solo. Um, this is a co-op game, so theoretically you could multi-hand it, but it relies a little bit on some secret information that each player has. You do have the ability, you can you can play it multi-handed, and I'll talk more about that when we get to that, um, and just not have that secret information. Or you can do it as they designed it, in which case it maintains more of that secret information feel by doing it the specific way that they explain it in the Solar Rules addendum. Okay, uh, let's talk about the components then. I don't think there's Surely. I've got things to say about the components. Let me talk about the thing I do. Let okay, first of all, that I, like. I bet you it's too small a box. No, actually, I'm no. fine with box size. Really? Okay. <laughs> usually yeah. these box size, the games in this size are too small usually. No, it's fine. <laughs> for, for what it's got in it, it's got, there's 10 card decks for each of the six investigators that come with the box. Um, so each of them have their own specific deck. This is not a game where you construct your own deck. Everyone has a pre-built deck. Um, all the different decks feel unique. There's three ancient one sheets, which are used for their specific rules and a couple monster tokens that come with these specific ancient ones, as well as a whole bunch of like 40 or so standard monster tokens. Um, I've mentioned for a number of different games that different tokens should have different aspects, physical aspects to them. They nailed that here because the standard monster tokens are all perfectly square. The special monster tokens are almost square. They just have a corner clipped. So on the one hand, it's really easy to see that they're a monster token. But on the other hand, it's really easy to see that they're special. They don't do the same generic thing everything else does. They're they're specific to specific ancient one. Nail that. More people need to learn that lesson. It was very good. (laughs) Nice. Um, the game has a big game board, which has red and blue arrows all over the place and a bunch of squares and lines for everyone to get through. There are three colored area, three colors of areas. So there's the whole game board is 12 spaces. So there's three sets of four. Each of them are a different color. The game references the col- that color, but the game also references the color by their numbers too. So one color is one to four. One color is five to eight one color is nine to 12 so references is both by color and number so theoretically even for colorblind you could just reference the number which is very good um similarly the arrows for red and blue around the game board are used to denote how monsters are moving if you have a colorblind issue with that the game actually it's not on the board itself but in the rules it does provide a um, I'm not quite sure what to call it, but essentially a colorblind friendly game board reference where it has a small picture of the whole board with white and black arrows instead of red and blue arrows so that you can reference that board to figure out what all the different arrows and paths and things are so that colorblind colorblind excuse me, so the colorblind players are more easily able to use those. All that's good stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, All of that definitely helps. Let me continue through some of the other just random tokens. There's other tokens. There's seal tokens, uh, which you use to set up traps to the bad guys. There's damage tokens, which the bad guys use to slowly damage up the board, and if they do too much of that, they're probably going to win. There's health tokens that you use to keep track of your health, and they'll be damaging you. 
There's priority cards that you'll use to determine what order you're going to be trying to play cards. And I'll get more into that when we get gameplay. There's item cards, which are rewards that you may end up getting. Um, and that's almost all of the stuff. The last thing I want to talk about are the gate tokens. Now, I, I just mentioned how different things should be differently shaped. The gate tokens are a pile of tokens that are used to first highlight where a specific gate is. Every game, there are going to be three specific locations that are marked with a, with a gate token. There's three different type of them, and I'll call them star, cube, and circles because that's sort of what they look like to me. So you'll find one of each token, put it on a spot which is shown to be it, um, and then shuffle them around. You'll then also shuffle around clue tokens, which are similar circular tokens that are all gray on one side with a little investigator hourglass. And on the other side have a bunch of red icons that you'll use to be able to determine what you need to do to remove the ritual. When you're setting up three of the locations will have these gate tokens. All the other locations will have clue tokens. They are the same size. And on the hourglass side, they're the same grayscale look to them. Mm. They don't really differ in color. They don't really differ in style and shape in, in any of that. And especially if you're setting up, it's really easy to get those two tokens confused when you're looking at a messy board and there's lots of spaces around, especially until the gate tokens start piling up somewhere. It's easy to get those confused at a glance. Because they're the same. They're very, very similar. I just don't know why the clue tokens could not be more distinct from the gate tokens. I would have loved if the clue tokens were a different shape, if they would have been oblong, for example, um, or hexagram, or, or just some different shape. If you wanted them to be the same size, because theoretically the clue tokens go on the same space that the gate tokens go on. So if you want them to be the same shape for that aesthetic purpose, make the clue tokens a wildly different color scheme to the color scheme on the gate tokens so that they also stood out clearly. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Eh, who am I? <laughs> what do I know about these things? But yeah. it's, it, it is a, a little, I'm just a user. Exactly. Yeah, what do users know? <laughs> it, it is a little bit, frustrating mm -hmm. that on the one hand they did well on that that they had special monster tokens and standard monster tokens be different there was no reason why they had to do that other than it makes everything easier and then they went and did the clue tokens issue which does nothing but make it harder so like guys figure it out that's funny yeah and it's not really a solution but is there a i'm guessing there's aftermarket stuff you go to etsy and buy custom made ones and all that if they exist it. i don't know that i'm familiar with them and okay. i don't know that the game is popular enough that anybody has really made them mm. okay tis Interesting. Tis. yep you you talked about the board with the different arrows and that reminds me of the the movement in the arkham horror board game yes very similar okay. to that okay okay um that is probably the inspiration for it got it. yeah and it makes sense same same family of games sort of Kind of. Yeah. I think that's it for the components. I think I do no believe. drawback or anything. No, no drawback. Okay. I'm, I mean, theoretically, you are supposed to use a drawback from monster tokens and you'll draw them out of something. There's no drawback provided. I don't even like using a drawback for them. I just use a cup. But yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, they don't provide drawbacks even when they tell you to use one. Yes. <laughs> oh, why? But that's just me whining about a different game. So, okay, so tell us about the gameplay then, Julius. I would love to. And Albert, here's the part I think you're going to be more interested in. Let me first talk about what the bad guys are trying to do. As mentioned, they are trying to open up gates. Every round, there's going to be a mythos phase. Now, the mythos phase goes after the player phase, but I just want to tell you about what the mythos phase is first, so that you understand 
how you lose. Mm-hmm. During the mythos phase, um, or excuse me, I think they call it the ancient one phase, but I'm so used to other terminologies that it makes just more sense to me. During the mythos phase, the first thing you're going to do is you're going to count how many icons are present in the priority cards you played. During your turn, you're going to be discarding priority cards to be able to take actions, four of them every round. Those priority cards will have different number of icons on the back, either zero, one, or two on each. You'll count how many omen icons are on the back of, on the front of your priority cards, and that will determine how bad of a response the ancient one gets. Uh, You'll count them all up, reference their sheet to determine what they do, and then do that. So like it may say if you had seven of them, everyone just straight up loses health or summon a whole bunch of monsters or add an extra gate, whatnot. Um, after they get to take their attack, they'll, you'll then look at a stack of gate tokens. So I mentioned that at the start of the game, you'll put down one of each different gate token. Mm-hmm. Every other gate token during setup, you'll shuffle them up. And during the second half of the mythos phase, you'll reveal the top gate token then and put that gate token on top of the stack of the other ones. So like if you reveal a circle one, you put it on top of the circle one. Then you pull monsters equal to the number of token gate tokens at that gate from your monster cup. So like if you had already two circle gates at the circle gate location, you draw a third one. You'll put this, you'll then put three monsters at the circle gate. If any bad ones, if, if you overflow a location, or this is common throughout much of the game, if you overflow, so any extra monsters will just run around the board. So let's say that you drew one monster too many and it's a blue, it'll spawn and keep going around to the blue track. So it'll go to the next location on the blue track around the board. Mm-hmm. That is, and so that's all that they're going to be doing on their turn. The game is trying to have a bunch of monsters show up at the ritual location. During the setup, you will set one place as a ritual location, putting down a specific, it's sort of like a gate token. It's the same type of thing. One location is the ritual location. The game, the enemies are trying to have all of those spaces be filled with monsters. Um, If they can fill all those up and then another one has to be placed, they win. Alternatively, if they manage to defeat one of the investigators, so if they reduce all an investigator's health to zero, they win. The most common way they do that is either by ancient one effects, like I mentioned, if they have like seven, they'll just do a straight two health, mm-hmm. or some of the monsters will attack the investigators, and if you're in the same spot when they do that, uh, then they'll have a chance to attack you. Okay. In order to win, you have to reverse the ritual before either of those happen. Now, how you reverse the ritual is a whole big thing. Let me go through that. Before before you get into that, I'm curious about the uh, ritual location. You said it's is it a location just like the gate locations at the beginning of the game? You randomly picked one to be the ritual it's not, location? Not, none of this is actually randomly set up. Oh, okay. Each of the Ancient One sheets has specific places to place the ritual locations and each of the three gate locations. And it actually has different setups. It can have either easy, normal, or hard setups. Mm-hmm. So, and each of those may have different places where the gate and the ritual locations all get placed. And gotcha. that actually makes a big difference. Mm-hmm. But it's not randomized. It's set. It's set by specific in advance. Gotcha. Okay. So, let me talk about how we reverse the ritual. In order to do that, first, I have to talk about how you play cards. Over the course of the game, you're going to need to be investigating and defeating the monsters. One, you'll need to investigate in order to determine what the elements of the ritual are. And two, you'll need to defeat monsters so that A, they can't hurt you, and B, they can't make you lose the game by having too many monsters in the ritual location. The way you do that is by playing cards with priority cards. So as mentioned, every player has a deck of 10 cards. On your turn, you're going to draw the top card of your deck, read it, and you have a hand of four priority cards. Each of the priority cards, as mentioned, has icons on it, but more important for this purpose is they have number on it, which is the priority number. 
There are 30 priority cards, and each are numbered 1 to 30. You'll read your card, and then you'll place it face down with one of the various priority cards in your hand. So let's say I place it face down with a 15 on it. So I'm going square in the middle. By playing a 15 on it, I'm essentially broadcasting to the players, hey, I'm playing this in the middle. I'm okay if I go first or last. I'm not really pushing one way or the other. But if you put a one on it, you're like, I really want to go first. This is an action that's really much better if done at the top. Don't don't even try and go before me. So you can sort of a little telegraph that to other players. Practically, I, I prefer to just essentially do this. Everyone just go. <laughs> okay. um, so hang on a second. You said yeah, you have a on. hand of four priority cards. Priority and, cards. And, and they're numbered one, one through 30. Card. All of the um, priority cards are numbered one through 30. Let me stop. Okay. Off. Yes. So there's there's 30 different cards, but you only ever have four of them in your hand. Yes. Each player has four in their hand. So it may work out that you have one, two, three, and four in your hand, and, and you know, you're going you're gonna to be going first because all your numbers are super low. And that's that's thing. true for the okay. moment, but yes. Okay. That's all I want and to you know. may not want to go first. You may have a bunch of cards that really are better being played last. Yeah, but because you have the low numbers, you're going to be stuck not going There's last. There's nothing you can do about it. That's yep. right. <laughs> okay. That's a, that sounds like that could be fun in a frustrating way. It or definitely frustrating can. in a fun way. Yeah. So I know that this is one thing that with newer players can take a while to run through all of that because everyone has to read their card, figure out what they're doing, mm-hmm. especially if you're doing turn order where only one person is making the decision in time. Um, the game actually has in the rules, and I definitely recommend playing this way. Just do it all simultaneously. Just have everyone draw, read your cards, and play your cards to the center whenever you think you're ready to to weigh in. And everyone can decide from the information that's there. If you're playing a three-player game, one person gets to play two cards, so theoretically they need to wait in order to play their second card. Uh but practically not even if they just want to be like, I know both of these, everyone work around it. I got no problems with just everyone, everyone set up and work off of the information that's there when you're ready to play. Don't talk about it because that kind of ruins this whole thing about you not knowing what's being played and all that surprises. Don't be like, Hey, I'm, I'm holding on to this to let everyone else go. Don't, don't, don't be a jerk about it. Don't, don't <laughs> interfere with it but don't hold back. Just play the cards, keep the game moving. And it's a lot more fun that way. And the game specifically okay. calls out that you can do it that way. And I prefer playing it that way. So you'll play every time you'll w- keep going until four cards are played. So in two players, two people play two cards. Each player plays two cards and three players. One person plays one, two cards and four players. Everyone plays one card, etc. So you'll, everyone will play cards and priority cards until four cards are played. You'll then resolve them. As I mentioned before, the first two cards will be the investigative type thing. The last two cards will be an attack monster type thing. Generally, when you're investigating, what that means is that you're going to be flipping over the clue token that is at your location. Most of the clue tokens are one of 10 different clues, actual clue tokens. A couple of them are these key icons, and the key icons mean that you get a special item. And the items can be powerful effects, and there are a bunch of cool cards from the card game, really. I recognized a bunch of like, oh, in the card game, this does something cool, neat, and similar, so I loved that particular thing. <laughs> cool. But if you don't love if you don't love play, enjoy the card game, it, it's just that they happen to be similar, similar cards and free and cheap art for the, for the people by <laughs> Fantasy Flight because they already owned it. So you, if you get a key, you get an item. Generally, though, what you're looking for is one of the clue tokens. There are 10 different clue tokens. So that's five icons and two pairs, two copies of each. Um, when you investigate, you will flip over the clue token at your location and put that clue token off to the side on a special part of the board where it is. The reason is this because two of the clue tokens are already placed there during setup, and this was randomized. Those are the clue tokens that represent the icons you need from the ritual. Each priority card has one of those five different icons on it. In order to win the game, you have to stop the ritual by having amongst all the player cards 
the ritual icons that are the actual part of the ritual. So if at the beginning of the game, you randomly put down there a plus and a star face down, you have to play, and the amount of cards you need to play depends on the number of players. So it's two times the number of players. Okay. Um, so, or excuse me, it's three times the number of players. So at the end of the game, when you're trying to reverse the ritual, everyone looks at their hand of four cards and they'll play out. Um, excuse me. It is two and you play out three. I'm referencing the thing. You'll play out three of those cards. If there's two times the number of players card icons from the ritual, you have managed to defeat the ritual. So again, let's say you're playing with two players. Each of you will play three priority cards left in your hand at the end of the game. And let's say that you've determined that the icons are a star and a plus. You look across the six cards, you count up how many stars and how many pluses you have amongst them. If the total of stars and pluses is four, you win the game. If you don't have it, you've lost the game. You're four each. Four stars and four crosses. It's not four each. Four it's total four between total. them. So oh, it could okay. be oh, four easy. pluses, four stars, three and one, or two and two. Whatever method it is. It just has to be of, of those icons. And you say easy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, well, each card only has one icon, correct? Or is there multiple? Each card has only one icon, yep. yes. So you don't have a lot of room for error. You, you, well, you do have, there's eight cards um, in two players, and I'm going to keep saying two players. Mm-hmm. Um, but amongst two players, you have eight cards, and only half of them need to be the icons yeah. you need. But half of them need to be the icons you need. And there are five different icons. So if you have an even spread, theoretically, amongst the different icons, you're you're going to be short. <laughs> mm-hmm. So don't do that. Part so of I what guess makes, you're, you're trying to figure out what the icons are before you get to that ending. You really want to figure out what they are. Yeah. Correct. And you want to be sort of narrowing it down. So, for example, if in the course of investigating you reveal both, both diamond icons, you'll at that point in time know that the diamond icons are not going to be part of the ritual. And you can freely play those priority cards. And hold on to the other icon. So if you have diamond cards in hand, you'll say, hey, this is perfect. I can play these and no, I don't need to hold on to them. But on the other hand, if you've gone through and you know that it's, say, two pluses, which can happen, you know that you need to hold on to all the pluses. Don't let any pluses go. Never play any pluses. And here's hoping that you're doing that. The sometimes problem with that is, say, all your other cards are the wrong priority or they have a bunch of omen icons or you're not paying attention. <laughs> you know, there's, there's three pieces of information on those priority cards, the number of omen icons, the priority and or excuse, the number of omen icons, the priority and the ritual icon. And uh, you got to balance all those things and it can be tricky. Okay. That's interesting. Yeah. That that begins to be much of the push and pull between those things. So that is all about the investigate side of it. The monster half of the cards, it's generally just do monsters. It lets you go and kill monsters. Generally, the bottom half of the cards will also activate monsters. So that'll cause them to run around the board or spawn more monsters or just take damage or damage locations or all uh, all sorts of sort of things that monsters will do. That happens for the bottom half of them. Unavoidable because half of your cards each round are going to have to activate monsters. Mm-hmm. Deal with it. So I immediately thought of Gloomhaven when I saw this, even though it's a little bit more restricted because you've got a top and a bottom and there's a push pull between do I want to play this now specifically for its top effect or a bottom effect? There'll be some cards that are like, it could be either, I don't know, or some of them that you really want to push it, but how much do you want to push it? <laughs> and then there's sometimes each player deck is going to have a couple 
that are just straight bad either way. It's it's the essential from the card game of weaknesses for your deck. Mm-hmm. And some of them that are just straight good. But some of them are weaknesses. And you'll look at them like, I absolutely do not want to play this on its bad side. Like, there's one that, I can't, I can't remember exactly what it is, but something along the lines of place like 10, it's a ridiculous number, a ridiculous number of damage tokens at your location and adjacent locations. And if you play that one late, you're like, oh, no, I don't want to do that at all. That's horrible. So you push <laughs> it and you be like, I'm going to put a five for this one because I really need to go early. And then everyone else plays the one through four and you're like, well, yeah. really? <laughs> well, really, guys? Like, sorry. Oops. Yeah, we all need to go first. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I had a really good investigate card. I said, well, I had a really bad one and now we got to do it. So there's all that push and pull. There's all that interaction and effect and push and pull. And a lot of that is very fun. A lot of that grabbing everything together is, is very enjoyable. The idea, let me talk about this clue idea. You have these 10 clue tokens and it's sort of to a degree, a little bit of guesswork. It's very difficult for me at least, and definitely with the people that I'm playing this game with to keep track of what's in hand with regard to what the likelihood of popping up on the rituals are. It tends to be, you know, just one piece of information too many and generally one piece of one minute too late. Like maybe I'll reveal both of the hourglasses early on. Like that'll be the first two things and I'll know hourglasses there. You don't usually get so lucky. Usually it's like, Hey, I got an hourglass and a star. That's now I know is not there. And at that point, you're like, well, I can't really freely discard either one of those. It's just, I guess maybe they're better to discard, but on the other hand, I, I could need them. I don't know. I don't really know anything until late in the game. If you ever do really know, it's not unlikely that you'll get to the end of the game. And by the way, the gate stack is your turn counter. If the gate stack is fully... Uh, fully done uh, you at that point in time must try to reverse the ritual you don't have a choice at that point in time unless you get to that point um, you always have an opportunity to reverse the ritual at the end of the round but if the gate stack is empty which is at the end of the round you must reverse the ritual and determine if you win or if you lose and at that point in time, maybe by then you have enough information, but often I'm ending games and I still don't conclusively know. I'm hedging and I don't know. It, it's one piece of information that I just cannot easily keep track of and it's there and I'd like to be able to keep better track of it. But on the other hand, if I knew perfect information, it would probably just get easier and easier to a degree that it wouldn't be as much fun. Because I like all that push and pull. I like all that information and having to select which cards and move things around. I enjoy all that. It is much simpler than Arkham Horror card game. You don't build your own deck. By and large, all the cards, you're going to see the same. It's only a 10-card deck. You're going to see them over and over again. Many of them are duplicates. You're going to get bored playing an investigator over and over again. This is not one like, I'm going to learn how to play this investigator. Well, nah, you're going to be like, <laughs> I am bored playing this. Let's see something new. But and there's how six many investigators? Six investigators? Okay. Yeah, there's six. So there's a fair amount of variability, especially if you're playing with two players generally. You, you mix that up. You can play between the six ones. And I think that that has not been an issue about just getting bored of them. Just keep switching between the different ones. And I think that's fine, but you will Mm -hmm. see those cards multiple times and there'll be that push and pull with the priority cards over the course of the game. So it's not on the deck for as bland as those priority cards are. They make up the joy of the game for me, Hmm, which is really nice. Now then, Having said that, let's talk about solo. Because when you're playing multiplayer, those priority cards 
are the push and pull for the game. I've mentioned before, hey, I tried to play something fast and someone else came and interrupted, or I was trying to hold on to the stars and I didn't know what they had and things like that. All of that by the rules. And I'm going to be talking about the variant that the, the rule book has for this. By the rules, when you're playing with a solo game, you're going to kind of play two players. But instead what you'll do is you draw every round, you're going to draw five priority cards. One of them, each round, you're putting for the end of the game. So your very first rap time that you do that, it's just a shot in the dark. You're going to put one of them aside mm-hmm. or it's one with a priority like it's 15. I don't care about that. But even then, it's really a shot in the dark. You haven't seen any of your cards. You don't know anything. Or maybe it's just you're putting some of the double omen icons there. You really don't know anything. You're just putting them there. But every round, you're picking one of five priority cards and setting it aside for the ritual. You'll then lay out the remaining four cards and you'll order them highest to lowest. Then you pick one of your two player decks and draw a card from that and then pick which of the priority spots spots to put it at. You'll keep doing that until each of the two, and you're playing two handed kind of mm-hmm. this. So you'll keep doing that until each of the two investigators have played two cards. So your first card you'll play first and you'll say, Hey, I think that this one can go here and put it there. And then your options will get restricted. You won't necessarily know where it is that you want to place it because let's say you filled up both of the two early slots and then one of those cards that really wants to be early comes up and you're like, well, I guess we're SOL. And that similar type of thing can happen where you just shot yourself in the foot because of your actions. You didn't Mm -hmm. know about it. Happens, but very much it's similar to the multiplayer, and that just sometimes you shoot yourself in the foot. So that similar feeling of stuff coming together and stuff restricting in on itself happens in the game with this variant. Now, then the difference between this variant and the main one is that at the end of the game, when you're reversing the ritual all of those cards that were placed next to the, the ancient one sheet. So the each, each of your first cards in the round um, are the ones that count and you have to have three committed cards over the course of the game. That's tougher. Generally you're doing this sort of thing in the eighth round because you want to get the maximum amount of information if you can. And towards the end, you'll have a pretty good guess about what it is. You only need three instead of four, which you would normally need when you're playing Mm -hmm. two-handed. But on the other hand, some of those cards are just put there with zero clue about what it is could have possibly helped. And that's probably true for about half of them. For half of them, you're like, oh, maybe. Like, even if round one, you flipped over a diamond, you're like, I I, I mean, I guess it's less likely to be diamond, but equally, mm. it could still be diamond. And you put down, say, an, a, a moon because you're like, well, moons haven't popped up. And then the next two things you do are two moons. Like, well, yeah, too, those cards are too bad. Good. Yep. So and and it, that sort of simulates the multiplayer game idea it, that you don't doesn't. know yet. But yeah, but it's but the problem is that you, you're making the decision up front. Right. Yeah, in the multiplayer game, turn it away. In the multiplayer game, it's about halfway through the game when you really start thinking about, hey, which ones do I want to hold on to? Mm-hmm. Which ones do I not need to play? Like the last two rounds, you're like, hey, let's not do this. Or even in the last round, often the seventh round comes up, and people are saying, hey, we don't necessarily know, but right now, if this is the solution we've got the cards in hands to be able to do this. If we wait another round, we're not sure that we're going to have the cards in hand to be able to do that. We should maybe do it now. And then someone else argues, but it could be that it's not the solution <laughs> and we could be wrong. We're taking a 50, 50 shot. And you go right. And so circle. let's hold off another round and get certain. And so we hold off another round 
And then lo and behold, we were right on what it is, except now we don't have the cards to be able to clear the ritual. There's that whole push and pull. (laughs) And all that push and pull comes up at the end of the game. Like once you've started to figure stuff out, you start to make guesses. This one has you making guesses at the beginning of the game. I, but, I, yeah, but you only need three. So the first few cards, you're saying, well, I guess I'll just do one of each just sort of to, to hedge my bets a bit. You know, I hadn't um, even ever thought of it as that. I just sort of like, I'm like, I don't want to have a two Omen Icon one played. So I'll just pitch that. Is what so I you're do. saying you find the, the solo game harder? No, I don't find it harder. Okay. I think that they needed to do something because it takes a certain level of schizophrenia to play two hand in this game. You have to be able to pick of your four priority cards, not having remembered what the other player did. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For some reason, I am actually able to do that. I am <laughs> able to play a card and then not two seconds later go, wait, what card did I play? <laughs> And it may be because of the time, hour, and day that I've been having when I'm playing this game that I am so good at being schizophrenic and totally separating the two personalities. I will even argue with myself about why in the world <laughs> did I do something. Yeah, that's how I play Gloomhaven too, actually. Exactly. <laughs> I did what? Just... What What was I thinking? <laughs> no, I usually say, what were you thinking? Oh, yeah. <laughs> And and I'm talking to myself and I answer in in mm-hmm. third person like that. Yep. But <laughs> it's it's a special kind of place in my head. <laughs> I find well, that schizophrenia enjoyable and I find it more fun to be able to play with the full on schizophrenia because the end doesn't make sense to me about you you lose the end of the game. You lose the ritual because at the end of the ritual, I solved this whole mystery. I know for sure. I've determined. I've determined with certainty that the ritual is Diamond Moon. Mm-hmm. Except I've been playing this whole game and have put a single Diamond or Moon in the deck. And now it's round seven. And I don't have any diamond or moon that I drew. I just didn't draw them this round. I can't save from round to round. I didn't draw any. So, so I'm I'm SOL. I've I have two more rounds that I could play this game, but right now I am already out of luck. Why? Why? <laughs> but I don't yeah. want to be out of luck. That I should be able to solve it. Yep. I've solved it. And if you're playing schizophrenic. You can do that. If you're playing their way, you can't. I just wish there was something in the middle. Now then, I still enjoy all that push and pull. I enjoy that the ritual is that way. More than likely, if I would have been playing this game as a solo game, and you would have told me this is how the game is played, I probably would have given it an even better review than I'm giving it right now. Because it's good. It it works And it has that drama. It has that tension. And there will be sometimes when you get up to the seventh round, you're like, I've got two rounds and there is diddly I can do to solve it at this point in time. It happens. And the response to that I would say is suck it up, buttercup, re-roll, go again. And that's fine. That's a perfectly fine thing to do. That's just the game. You don't want to win every game. Right. But the problem is, is that if you were playing a multiplayer, I wouldn't be losing right now because I've got everything I need in my hand to be able to win. I just need to play multiplayer. <sighs> Interesting. Okay. With a, with, with a multi hands with, or with multiple characters in this game, do you get synergies across the characters like you do in other cooperative no. games? No. Okay. Nah. Each one is really independent with a mix of stuff they can do to investigate and stuff they can do to attack. There's not really like attacky type characters. Like normally the main game, for example, there's uh, Tommy McGl- T- Tommy Glenn. What was his name? I don't remember. Okay. Uh, now I'm looking it up. <laughs> um, Tommy Muldoon. Excuse me. Tommy Muldoon, who is normally like in the card game, he's a guardian. So he's much more about you know fighting, protecting, yeah. using guns, blowing stuff up, things like that. And in this game, while he has his signature weapons and things, 
he also has abilities that let him investigate. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and this so, does have the same investigators. You'll recognize him from the other uh, games. It oh, only yeah. has six, so it's not. It's got you know, it's got Jenny Barnes, Rita Young, uh, Ashcam Pete, and his dear old mm-hmm. pup. Dog, it's yeah. got you know, Amorthoth. It's got Cthulhu. It's got one that I never heard of, Shude Mel. Shude Mel, yeah, I remember him from somewhere. He, never he's heard not of that Lovecraft. One. Lovecraft didn't come up with him; somebody else did. But yeah, who knows? Well, okay. So I mean, this sounds interesting. It sounds like it's fun. It sounds sounds a bit chaotic too, though. One oh, one thing yes. I like about this is that you, it looks like you're actually investigating and figuring something out. Where when the other games, you're like. Oh, I go to this location and pick up a clue token, which meant that I found yes. some rag under here. You really are finding a clue and saying, aha, I know what this means. Correct. It's so much less abstract about investigations, mm-hmm. which is cool. Mm-hmm. <laughs> clue tokens like is an actual clue for the purposes of players making detective reasonings. When you reveal a clue token, it makes a change to your actions. Not just simply like, Hey, you need four clue tokens you could theoretically start making guesses earlier on a point in time. And as I've done many times coming into round seven, I say, Hey, right now, if it, it could be a 50, 50 on what it is, then right now we could win. Do we, we go, go for it? it? Yeah. Why <laughs> not? This is an actual investigation, which is a much different feeling than any of the other games, which is nice. Mm-hmm, that is neat. And I like that they borrowed things from the other games. Um, like you mentioned with the card game, there's sort of the weaknesses. Mm-hmm. There's something that's sort of borrowed from that, and the board game has the the map where you run around and f- the monsters follow the arrows, and they yep. copied that from the board game. So I kind of li- I like that that hodgepodge, a little bit of everything in, in, that it has. I I do think that it is much more strategic than either the card game or the board game, because the priority cards and the placement of effects and who wants to go first. There's no dice in this game. There's not a random chaos bag. There's no there's no determination of outcome. Everything you do always succeeds. You're going to shoot at monsters, always succeeds. You're going to investigate, always succeeds. You always flip a token. The If you play a whole bunch of high priority cards, the monsters are going to definitely do bad stuff back. The only decision you get on how to avoid monsters, you, you can't really play stuff in response, you can avoid being there. <laughs> so it feels, I, I keep saying Gloomhaven-y, but it's more Gloomhaven-y of an Arkham because all <laughs> of that is deterministic instead of instead of chaotic. The chaos comes from the other players, not dice. That interaction, yep. And when you're oh, playing solo, the chaos comes from yourself. <laughs> or your own weird ability to talk to yourself that also happens <laughs> yep all right so this game retails for 45 dollars, according to miniature markets they have it for 35 but according to fantasy flight website it is out of print and i don't know if that means they're they're done with it or it's just in between printings it could go either no way with them it yeah really could. Who, yeah you who can say so I haven't it seen a lot be. of people talk about it, and I haven't seen a lot of people really yeah. jazzed about it. In large part, I think, because it feels really different than other Arkham Horror games. Arkham Horror usually is, you know, it's dice rolling. It's it's Ameritrashy. It's roll a bunch of dice and see if you succeed. This one, it feels very measured. It feels very strategic. It It's not got the same feeling as the board game. And I imagine that put a bunch of people off. Mm-hmm. Could be. Uh, and so there's no me, expansions available. Own, there's no expansions, but for me who I don't own the board game, you tell me that it's not like the board game. I say, Oh, I'm, I'm interested. <laughs> tell me more. <laughs> so that's funny. Yeah. So it's interesting. So, I mean, it sounds, it sounds like a neat game, but if you, if you want it, you may want to consider getting it now in case it does disappear. Like we said, with Fantasy Flight, you never know. It may, it may be they're about to print it. You know, when you check their upcoming games, it's not there either. So it's not even yeah. like in the queue right now. But who can say? But I mean, there's a fair number of copies floating around. Yeah, there is. And like I said, you could buy it. You could find it online on retailers. It's it's not. You don't have to go to secondhand market. Yep. 
and there's there is a you know there's a fair amount of variability to it there's the different monsters the different skill levels um and there's the different investigators so yeah i really don't think it's ever going to get any expansions i just don't think it sold well and was popular enough that they want to put more into it but you know i'm sure that a bunch of people are doing like custom stuff which is perfectly fine probably yeah it doesn't so now that you've told me all about this it doesn't sound like it's the final offer of a fight it it sounds like it's the same sort of thing you're investigating and finding clues and it's it's not that boss fight at the end it's it's the whole game just compressed into a shorter playtime. that's what it sounds like but it doesn't feel like the same game it's different it is different mechanically but it is still you're doing the same thing you're going around the town investigating and closing gates and stuff ah right yeah and so i had i had imagined oh it's just that boss fight where i fight now i could see where you're saying yeah this doesn't work you can't use this as the end game for one of the big games yeah it has a it has a totally different feel and does a different thing Mm -hmm. but thematically it's the same as the other games i think thematically yes yes because it's all Arkham Horror. It's just a very yeah. different Arkham Horror. <laughs> it's a puzzly Arkham Horror. Yeah, that sounds interesting. Makes me tempted to pick it up. <laughs> I agree. I agree. And if you're interested, now is your final hour to get it, I suppose. Yep, and and, and that we should probably end the show because it is my final hour before I go to bed. <laughs> 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 Sounds like a plan. All right. Good Thank night, you, Julius. Good night. Bye bye. Thanks for listening. We love feedback, so we love hearing from you. You can reach me at Julius at OnePlayerPodcast.com or JLBird on BGG. And Albert can be reached at Albert at OnePlayerPodcast.com or Fractaloon on BGG. Our website is OnePlayerPodcast.com with the number one, and we're also on Twitter at OnePlayerPodcast. The intro music is copyright Angus, can be found at Gemendo.com. The transition music is copyright by Dan Elduce Pancaldi, whose page is at DanPancaldi.com. The One Player Podcast is protected under a Creative Commons share-like license. Thanks for listening.